Welcome to Life Point Plus, a program dealing with marriages and family. We are so glad you're listening. Here's your host, pastor and teacher, Gary Moore. Welcome to Life Point Plus, where we discuss marital and family relationships. I'm your host, Gary Moore. Today, we are going to begin to look at meaning in the four marriages within a marriage. In marriage one, the one-word description of meaning is hope. In marriage two, the one-word description is hopelessness. In marriage three, the one-word description is hopefulness. And in marriage four, the one-word description is once again hope. Hope is the energy that sustains a marriage. And hope is the enemy that destroys a marriage. Both are true. Hope sustains the dreams, aims, and games that keep couples waiting, pursuing, seducing, manipulation, controlling, and being controlled. The hope that these strategies will somehow, someday, in some way pay off, hold back people from risking change and living in new and freeing ways. So hope in this case is our worst enemy. But hope is also the excitement, the lure toward change and growth. When there is hope of rediscovering our reason for being together, we can begin all over again. The hopes I have for my wife can free or hinder the relationship. If I love my hopes of what she might be or become more than I love her, the hopes betray us both. Caring is letting go of hopes so that hope may begin. Growing is letting hopes die so that hope may be born. Becoming is letting old hopes pass so hope may appear. Most marital pain is caused by holding on to past hopes or holding back from the future because of false hopes. So the hopes that have failed us block the healing power of authentic hope. Hopes must die before authentic hope is born. Just as personal growth proceeds at the pace of our identifying, owning, and canceling old self-defeating hopes, so relational growth occurs as we recognize how we are frozen in immature hopes. Then life-giving hope can emerge. Marriage number one is built on hopes, both false hopes and true hope. We are drawn together by many hopes which prove false. We stay together when we discover authentic hope. False hopes infect every marriage, particularly early marriage. The hope of finding the perfect partner. The hope of achieving a conflict-free marriage. The hope of relaxing in total acceptance. The hope of growing through the years without threat or pain. The hope of being understood instantly and completely. The hope of having needs met without having to ask. As couples, we all have a list of impossible hopes, and it is long. Well, as long as there is hope, the dependent spouse will wait for the other to meet all of his or her needs. As long as there is hope, the rescuing spouse will cover for, support, protect, and defend the other. As long as there is hope, the grown-up child will continue to search for the rejecting parent even when that parent is no longer living. As long as there is hope, the empty person will continue to search for the person, position, or success that will fill the vacuum. As long as hope continues, the search, the strategies, the pursuit will go on. However, when such hope dies, real hope becomes possible. True hope emerges only as old hopes begin to die. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, 
Earthly hope must be killed. Only then can one be saved by live hope. We all enter marriage with some perfectionist hopes. The three most common are the hope of finding the perfect partner, of having a flawless marriage, and of having endless romance. If you're the one who has created this idealized marriage, what you're really hoping is that you find the one for you, a dream for you, a peace and calm for you, security and safety for you, a new justice for you, perhaps even a new parent for you, and a loving relationship of unending perfection for you. Interestingly enough, all this was usually expressed in unselfish words describing a hope, a dream, a peace, a justice, a security for the lover, not for yourself. We hope total happiness for the other person, believing that that will guarantee our own. The human potential movement has raised our hopes of achieving a marital heaven. The heaven promised by romanticism is made up of all kinds of projections and wonderful characteristics placed on our spouse. Today the hope is in getting our sensitivity, communication, and relational process right. Perhaps if we get in touch with our deepest inner feelings or reclaim all parts of ourselves or get to know all of the other person, we can reach heaven. But heavenly marriages are not found here on earth. We each want heaven. We're not satisfied with earth, but that's where we are, and that's how it is. Authentic hope recognizes that we will be both satisfied and dissatisfied with our marriages, that we will be fulfilled and unfulfilled even in our most intimate relationships. Yet we can build a balanced and mature marriage that accepts the ambiguities and imperfections of being human together. Hope changes and matures throughout marriage. Four distinct patterns emerge which are parallel to the four marriages within a marriage that we have been exploring. In marriage one, we are captivated by hopes. When I married you, I knew you were the right one for me. I was absolutely certain that I would never ask if you were the right person for me. I'd never wish to be single again, but I did. Dr. Augsburger says, The hopes we bring to marriage and the hopes that bring us to marriage are shaped by 1. Our development, 2. Our dreams, and 3. Our depths. Our hopes extend the unfinished task of our developmental journey to that point. So we hope for what was missing, what was needed that went unfulfilled. This lack emerges in deep longings that shape our early marriage. We say things like, This person will fulfill all my dreams of loving and being loved. What was missing in my mother or father will be completed at last. Or, We will create a family where I can begin again where I can find the justice, the fairness, the acceptance I didn't get from my family. Or, this will be a friendship that is so different from my parents, they were always caught in the strangest conflicts that went on and on. That won't happen to us. Or, this is the person who is so much like what I want to become. If we are together, I'll be able to find who I really am. Or, our hopes express our depths our unrecognized and truly unknown inner yearnings. I think, looking back, I was looking for someone who would give me permission to let go, 
to be what I was afraid of being yet knew I had to become. We bring these deep levels of hopes into early marriage. Complex and confused as they may be, they bring us together. They bond us to each other. Later we discover the courage to claim our imperfection, the bravery to embrace our fallibility, the grace to be human. But before that is possible, the hopes must die. In marriage, too, we're betrayed by our hopes. It was like marital burnout. Everything I had hoped would be possible between us had gone up in smoke. What do you do when your marriage is in ashes? It is painful when hopes begin to fade. As our dreams falter, we wonder, what is left in our marriage? Perhaps it won't survive. What if we split up? Can we put it back together? It's almost like a death. As dreams die, a part of our ideal self is dying too. She will never be what I wanted with all my heart. He is not able to give what I expected, what I need if we are to be happy. It is a time of despair. It is a private tragedy, as most couples experience it. It is embarrassing to share with others. They all seem to be succeeding. We are ashamed to admit that our marriage is suffering. The sense of shame which many couples carry as they go for help for the first time encapsulates them like two lonely astronauts in spacesuits. As their hopes are dashed, they withdraw in self-protection and self-concealment. However, once we recognize what's going on in marriage number two, there is a promise of growth that begins to thaw our emotions. The winter of discouragement passes and hopefulness begins. Marriage number three is stirred by signs of hope. When it seemed like everything was over between us and there was nothing left but anger, we discovered that our anger still connected us. We still cared much more than we were willing to admit or we wouldn't be so upset. In marriage three, a new kind of hope stirs within us. No longer is hope an external magnet. It becomes an internal trusting, believing, willing that presses forward from a confidence center. The center may seem small, the confidence weak, yet the voice of hope is insistent. We become hopeful. We risk hoping. No longer speak of hope as a picture of upcoming events, as a composite of collected wishes. We recognize hoping as an active process of trusting and risking in loving relationships. Interestingly, the recovery of hope is contagious. As hope returns to one partner, it spreads to the other through the quiet language of the heart. When hope emerges, we touch each other. When marriage free, we are set free to hope. There was a time when I thought we could never part, but I was wrong. Then came the years when I doubted that we could stay together, but we did. Somewhere along the way, we discovered a new reason for being together. Call it love. Call it faith in each other. I call it hope. Well, true hope is the basic ingredient of all marital strength. It is the uniting, exciting, energizing force that moves us to risk covenants, to pledge commitments, and to carry out these promises with fidelity. Well, I want to thank you for being with us today. We'll continue our discussion of hope in the four marriages within a marriage next week. Thanks again for being with us. I hope you have a great weekend. God bless you, and we'll talk next week. Thank you for listening today. This program is brought to you by Cloverdale Church of God. If you would like to reach Pastor Gary, 
please email him at pastorgary at cloverdalechurch.org. To know more about the church, go to our website at www.cloverdalechurch.org. Thanks for listening and be blessed.